meditating on these uh, passages that uh, bring us to Advent made me think of uh, my wonderful old 1985 Civic. Um, it was five-speed. You know how you drive those cars. It was nothing special. I always wanted a car that I could get drive until it reached 200,000 miles. This never quite made it, but uh, it came close. But, you know, when you drive the five-speed, you, you start from dead just a dead stop, and that first gear gets you just kind of barely going. But uh, as soon as you can, you shift down into second, which takes you really to the next speed. It kind of moves the car a little longer, a little faster, and then you shift up into third, and that kind of winds the car up, right, until you get to the speed that you kind of normally run at when you're driving around the city, which is fourth gear. And then when you get a chance to get out on the highway, you want to open it up, and you push it up into fifth gear, and off you go and uh, take off. Still see puzzled looks because you're saying, what in the world does that have to do with Advent? <laughs> well, what made me think of this actually was that as Dwayne and I were thinking through not just the Advent series, but the whole study that we've done this fall, uh, coming now to this focus on what we've, what we're calling the coming of the greater son of David doesn't feel like we're starting a new series. It's really more like shifting gears and speeding up, in fact. And actually, uh, beginning to talk about the prophets is actually like shifting into third gear. If you think about the first gear, you know, we studied creation and fall, and that just kind of from a dead stop, got us going. And then we've studied over the last few weeks the history of Israel, uh, Abraham, um, Moses, David. And Dwayne's the English guy. I'm sort of the history guy. So I'm always eager that you get a sense of the sequence. And for my mind, at least, it helps to think of Abraham as the year 2000, Moses is the year 1500, David is the year 1000, just 500 years between them. And, um, and in fact, uh, if you were here last week, you know that, uh, that Dwayne talked to us about David, who by this time is not only the, the great king of Israel, he's united the north and the south, but they are now reigning in Jerusalem, which is terribly important, because so much of the prophecies that you now see talk about Jerusalem, and the word going out from Jerusalem. But often they'll use the poetic word Zion, which, which again, t sort of takes us to a, new, to a new plane. And so, in fact, the, the high point of Israel's history was David and then Solomon, who built the great temple, of course. But from there, it's downhill all the way, rapidly, it seems. At the same time, the prophets come along. And the word of the prophet is always, you know, preaching against the sin of the people at the time, but then in, invariably, in one way or another, they say, ah, but look ahead to the latter day, to the new day that's coming. There's something beyond what you can even possibly imagine ahead of us. Now, for the Jew, of course, they thought only of Israel. They thought of their own personal needs, which, frankly, we tend to do in the way in which we hear the the gospel. But it's, but, but, uh, well, in fact, the, 
as Wayne talked about last week, David uh, said to the Lord, I mean, we're now finally established, uh, you know, where we're, we've arrived. I want to build you a house. And uh, the Lord came back to him and said, David, before you build me a house, I'm going to build you a house. And it's going to be bigger than you ever imagined. You're thinking too small. We're talking about something that's just out of sight in terms of uh, what's coming. Well, that kind of gearing up to that is uh, is back to my good old Civic. That's that really is like shifting into third gear. You're 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 winding up, but you're not there yet. And fourth gear, in a sense, is the coming of Jesus. That's that's the normal. That's what we've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. But the fact is, the story isn't over. And with the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself literally says what? Go for it. Go for it. The best is yet to come. And the, and the fact is, and I guess if there's one thing that I hope you, you take away from thinking about this this morning, and that is simply that you and I sitting here this morning, part of Liberty Fairmount, we're part of the same story. Don't think about all those prophecies of Advent as though, oh, yeah, that's interesting, and they all were fulfilled in Jesus, and now we're kind of into a new game. No, we're not. Folks, what we read about in Isaiah is our story. It's just not written down yet, that's all. The writing part got to about, you know, the coming of Jesus and then Paul's trip to Rome, and then it stops. But it's not that God's story stops. It's not that the work of God has stopped. It was fulfilled in Jesus to burst forth, kind of racing on its way. Where is it all going? Well, look at the last verse that we read, that Sarah read just a moment ago. Verse 11, excuse me, verse 9 of chapter 11. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, or what? Look at it. This is a wonderful, beautiful phrase. For the earth shall be what? Full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what we're to expect. Absolute, total rule of God over this earth where there is peace and joy. And the knowledge of the Lord is everywhere. And unless I'm missing something, uh, we're not there yet. Agree? But interestingly, we go back to Isaiah. For in, a, in some sense, the clearest picture of where this story's going and where it's all going to take us. Now, as we look around, it's very tempting to say, not only are we not there, it seems like we're going backwards we say that as, as most of us people who live in the West. And it does seem like the battle's kind of going backwards as far as the gospel, advance of the gospel in the West. But that's not the vision that we need to have. We need to have God's vision. And, and, and it, we may not be as far away from that day as, as you think. Well, one of the delightful things we've, we've been doing the last couple of weeks is interviewing people for the in-covenant uh, 
who are coming into covenant, which, by the way, is next Sunday morning. We'll publicly receive folks in covenant. And um, it was my happy task to interview Esther, Mark and Esther, Jiang. Did I pronounce it right? Close? Okay. I was absolutely delighted to discover that Esther was born in, get this, Mongolia of missionary parents. Now, those of you who are Asian, please forgive me. But from a Westerner point of view, talk about the ends of the earth. We're talking about Mongolia. But I want to tell you, the gospel is in Mongolia. Jesus is building his church in Mongolia. Jesus is building his church in Nepal. Jesus is building his church among the most remote tribes that you'll find anywhere on the face of the earth. Yeah, there's still lots of people to be reached for sure. But it used to be sort of like it was a limited circle. And out there are all these unreached peoples. Not anymore. The gospel has gotten everywhere and it's now sort of filtering into all the different cultures. In fact, people who were reached with the gospel are coming back to help us, thank the Lord. So it's not a kind of a Western enterprise anymore. The earth is being filled with the knowledge of the Lord. But I don't think it's going to be something that we'll finish. I don't think we need to say, well, we have to do the job. I, I don't know what it's going to be like in the end. But I'm just saying to you, friends, we are part right now, today. And that makes a big difference to me. We are part of what God is doing that he talked about way back here in Isaiah chapter 11. And so when we say we're celebrating Advent, it's, it's easy to say Advent is sort of preparing us for Christmas. We're getting ready for the coming of Jesus. And frankly, I started being attracted to, to Advent. I was the biggest uh, grouch that ever lived as my children were growing up. We enlightened them about Santa Claus, you can bet that. All their friends hated them. Um, no, we just said that's part of a great, the fun part of Christmas. But we never, we never kind of brought, wiped out the lines between what is fantasy and what is, what is in fact reality. But I, I thought Advent, I'd, I'd never heard of Advent very much, to be honest, but I thought what a great way to sort of try to counteract all the barrage of Christmas ads and purchases and so forth. So that's all Advent was to me. But then I began to appreciate more, which I hope you do, what you're saying when you sing about Advent. Because it's not just, oh, we're looking forward to Jesus coming, the wonderful little baby, or even we're looking forward to Jesus coming who will eventually die on the cross. But we are celebrating the coming of God's kingdom, which began to be sure with the actual presence of Jesus on the earth. But listen over and over and over, even this, this morning I was reminded, all these hymns that we've been singing, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom, captive, Israel. But uh, then to sing about, you know, come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ, who? The newborn king. And again and again, as you, as you reflect on these uh, songs of Advent, as you prepare your hearts, I want you to be thinking, in a sense, beyond Jesus, 
And I don't mean that you can do more than Jesus. I'm saying that's why Jesus came, to take us beyond, to take us to, to, a, to an eternal kingdom, to a glorious uh, future that we, we can only have a hint of, but it's right here in Isaiah uh, presented for us. This is what some have called, and this is the title of the message, the peaceable kingdom. Back up to the passage that we've looked at in chapter 11. And uh, notice this lovely poetry that, that grows out of it. Verse 6, chapter 11 and verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. You see, the whole character of violence... The, the children playing with with a snake. You know, just saying this is a whole different world that we're looking forward to. The cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Lovely. There was a, I allude to this in the little devotional thought I wrote for this morning in the booklet, but there was a an early American artist, he's actually a Pennsylvania, Philadelphia artist, I think, Edward Hicks was his name, who used to paint this peaceable kingdom and I did a little uh, research. He actually painted 60 variations of the peaceable kingdom. And you'll always see in sort of, again, this primitive style, these different animals that are listed here in Isaiah. He withdrew his inspiration from Isaiah. Um, and so the, the children are playing together with the animals and they're snakes. And you could, you know, we have two variations of it in our own, hanging in our own home. So probably a lot of you have seen these seen these paintings, except interestingly enough, bless their hearts, the Quakers, where does, where does all this peaceable kingdom come from? William Penn making a treaty with the Indians. He'll, he's willing to quote Isaiah, but there's no hint that God's gonna, the one who's going to make this happen. We're going to do it. In the, in the Quaker sense, it was William Penn signing a treaty with the Indians. And this is the, this is the pattern, again, that I just want to impress upon you, and that is the world in which we live hungers for peace. They long for peace. It's the word, by the way, shalom, which is a deeper word than, than kind of our English word peace. It really speaks of harmony, of, of just really this picture that's here in Isaiah chapter 11. Salam is the Arab equivalent. So it's a common greeting among Jews. It's a common greeting among Islamic peoples all over the world. Peace. We, every Sunday we pass the peace, don't we? That's not a small thing. And the, whoever is leading worship, like Jeff did this morning, tries to say, this is significant to pass the peace. Well, it is. Because really, we are called to be people of peace. Shalom. 
And this is just a taste of the kingdom that has come with Jesus Christ. But the fact of the matter is, this is a sinful world. And try as they might, people wish and wish and wish and wish for peace. It doesn't happen. I have one other example that's interesting. I know this will date me, but uh, it's still actually a classic. John Lennon's a great song, Imagine. Probably as I'm reading it, you can hear the hear those uh, chords uh, that Lennon used. But listen to the words. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion, too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us, and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say that I'm a dreamer. I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and all the world will be as one. Now, the date on that is 1971, and I know when it first became popular, you know, I was the hotshot guy out of seminary, and I just heaped scorn upon this song, this humanistic, empty, vain attempt to bring peace in the world. Ah, but you know, we've grown up, we grow up, don't we? And I've realized that what you're hearing expressed by John Lennon is really a universal cry. Isn't there some answer? Isn't there some answer to the brokenness and the messed up character of this world in which we live? Where every time people turn around, John Lennon being one of them, right? I mean, Lennon wrote about, imagine a world of peace where we live in harmony and he was shot and killed. We've watched this Occupy movement, which just kind of filled our cities. And it's just typical of all these different other expressions. It, it, it such, was such idealism. Now, we want to see uh, the greed of man turned back and so forth. And just give it enough time, and it's turned ugly and violent and brutal and selfish. Because that's the way we do things in this world, sadly. And so, in fact... Uh, we have these it's hungers. Well, in fact, um, let me show you another example. Turn back to, to chapter 2 of Isaiah. That was the first reading that we had this morning. You can find it there in the bulletin, or you can just read it in your Bible. But, but notice how this, again, fills out of what we've been talking about. Whereas Isaiah is speaking to Israel, and yet he's looking beyond to something greater. 
The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days. And I hope as you read these prophecies as we go through Advent, you'll watch for this. This looking to, to looking beyond to the latter days, to the last days, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. Now, by the way, biblically, you're always reading about Israel or Jerusalem being on a mountain. Mount Zion, they'll call it. Well, if you actually get there, what you realize, uh, Jerusalem is on a hill, but actually there are around it uh, hills that are higher. Some of the most spectacular viewpoints are to actually stand, for example, on the Mount of Olives and look down as the, whole, as the city of Jerusalem and the temple area and all of that just kind of opens out in front of you. So here it says there will come the day when, in fact, Jerusalem will be lifted up as the highest of all the mountains. And what will happen? And all the nations shall flow to it, and many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his path. So what's the source of the peaceable kingdom? It's God here on earth teaching his law, teaching his way, for out of Zion shall go the law. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he, this is God who's now come, Emmanuel, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. Yes, there will be a peaceable kingdom, but it's because God himself comes in power to rule and bring the peace and justice for which we long. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Don't you wish for that day, you hear about more bombing in Iraq? Will we ever get out of Afghanistan? It's not just, that's the United States, what about all the other wars that are going on? And so, in fact, these words that I just read to you are actually engraved in stone in front of the United Nations. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. But not a word about how this is going to happen. We'll do it. Thank you, Lord. We'll take care of it. We're, we're the organization to bring peace to the world. Listen again, this is the common pattern that we see in people and we see it in ourselves. I want peace, I need peace, whether it's personal peace, uh, whether it's you know world peace, peace among nations, but we'll take care of it. The one thing that whether it's the United Nations or John Lennon or ourselves, don't want us want is really the first part of that passage. God's gonna come in. That's what that's what's going to bring peace to the world. The song we sing, in fact, is what we're going to close the service with. I don't know how much you've paid attention. We sing these songs, and I, I think half the time we don't appreciate how powerful they are. But look in your bulletins at Joy to the World.
And notice that this is a celebration. And by the way, I'm not sure why this has become a Christmas song, even. Uh, we want to sing it all year round. Isaac Watts, the author of the hymn, really took Psalm 98, which was how we started our service this morning, and, uh, and, and rewrote it, paraphrased it into this song about the coming of, really, the God who brings the kingdom. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive who? Her king. Let earth, the whole earth. This is what, of course, got Jesus into trouble when he announced this. It's there all along. This is for the whole world. And they said, no, no, it's for us, Jews. He said, no, no, it's for the world. And eventually that was one of the things that led to his being crucified. Let every heart prepare him room in heaven. And nature, that is, heaven and earth, sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. I love this phrase. How far? Far as the curse is found. This is really the hope that we sing of, the, the expectation of Advent. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Well, it's really, I, I just, I, I wanted you to, to get... Um, this expanded vision of what Advent is all about. Um, you pray for this every week. You did just a few minutes ago, thy kingdom come, which means what? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The angels at Christmas sing glory to God in the highest and on earth, shalom. It is what the coming of Christ represents. And, and Christian friends that really is good news for this broken world in which we live. There really is hope. And, and we don't do the gospel justice when we confine it, as I'm afraid we do, to just me. And Jesus came for me to forgive my sins so I can go to heaven when I die. And while I'm in this life, Jesus comforts me and helps me and he walks with me. And that's what the gospel's all about. Well, I want you to say, I want you to know that's true. That's the beginning of the gospel. You and I are part of a grand story that we can't even imagine. And we pray for that day when the kingdom will come with all of its majesty, when God's rule will actually be felt on this earth and there will be justice and righteousness and the poor will be cared for, and discrimination, and all the hatred and violence and peace. That's what we pray for. This is the peaceable kingdom for which we long. And the Lord help us all to really be men and women of peace. I don't mean that in a superficial way. That can become so trite, but that's huge. That's huge. That's what we celebrate at the time of Advent.
Oh, Lord, we look around us at this world, and there's such longing for peace, but it just doesn't happen. And people in this world refuse to search for peace by coming to Christ. That's the only source of peace. I pray, Lord, that you will help us, even as we confess now in this communion service, our need of Jesus, that we will think of Jesus as the hope of the world, not just our personal hope. And pray for that day, Lord, that the gospel itself, the the knowledge of the Lord will indeed cover the world as the waters cover the sea. Let us be your instruments in demonstrating justice and righteousness and kindness and goodness, but also speaking of the good news of Jesus Even, Lord, using these wonderful Christmas songs that people will sing without understanding what they're singing. The Lord, call us, we dedicate this season to you. The season of of renewing our vision of a world under the rule of Christ. We pray earnestly, O Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.